0: You leave quite a path of destruction.
1: I was going to come to see you.
0: Preemptive strike. Just in case there was any evil dead action still brewing.
1: Well, apparently I have been exorcised. I didn't do anything to you, did I?
0: Oh, nothing permanent. But you did display some intriguing abilities.
1: Yeah, I don't remember anything. I don't think I really want to.
0: Well, I'm just glad you're all right.
1: Thanks to Clark. I don't remember what he did, but Isabel's back to being history.
0: I guess we all owe Clark our gratitude. You
1: know, I really don't understand him. He can be so selfless, risking his life for his friends. And, you know, and then he turns around and he gets Jason fired because, what, you know, he's jealous? Lana,
0: Clark didn't get Jason fired. I did. You what? Look, no matter how mature you may think you are, the fact is you're still in high school. And I wasn't going to sit idle while someone in a position of authority coerced you into a relationship.
1: What are you doing, Lex?
0: I'm trying to protect you.
1: Do you really think that's what I need?
0: Lana, I know you're upset, but I only had your best interest at heart.
1: My interests are none of your concern, Lex. I'm old enough to decide who I want in my life and who I don't.
0: Somebody save me indeed! Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fancast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at farm2fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hi,
1: I'm Colin Hilding. I'm a part-time podcaster from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I co-host The Oz Network, which is a film and TV podcast, Double Oz 7, which is a James Bond podcast, and Off the Podium and Olympics podcast. I'm a lifetime Superman fan and a day one watcher of Smallville.
0: Colin, it's great to have you on. Uh, you were one of the people, again, i just kind of been throwing out, hey, you know, we're looking for co-hosts. And you reached out and said, hey, I'm, I would be interested. And we were able to make that happen. So I'm very pleased to have you on the show. Uh, since this is your first time here, though, let's do your Smallville origin story. You know, when did you start watching anything about the show, any particular episodes or whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to share?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I grew up kind of reading the Superman comics and uh, the the Superman movies as well. Actually, one of my earliest memories just for Superman is uh, the Superman movie. My dad recorded it on TV and it's a long movie. So, you know, I had to go to bed and he finished recording it. It was on late enough that uh, he had to pause the movie for commercials and fell asleep in the middle of it. And by, oh, the, no. by the time he woke up. You know, I watched this the next morning. and I'm like, wait a second, what happened to Lois? Like, all of a sudden, Lois is coming out of the ground, and I was confused, and it took me years before I was able to catch up with that. But uh, (laughs) with Smallville, as soon as it came on, you know, just being a Superman fan, I was like there, queued up, took my night off, recorded the episode. I mean, I'd say throughout the first three seasons, you know, I'd watch pretty much every single week. And if I didn't catch an episode here or there, I'd watch in reruns. And then season mm-hmm. four, I think was where I got really into the show. Like right from episode one to season four, just became obsessed with it. By the time season four was over, I had VHS tapes that were like 10 hours long. And I would press play as I went to bed at night, fall asleep to Smallville, and I'd let it run through the night. So if I woke up in the middle of the night, there'd be another episode and it would still yeah. be on when I woke up in the morning. I mean, that's how into the show I was.
0: Very cool, well, I'm happy to have your expertise then you've probably more familiar than even I am talk about this episode because this is an interesting episode <laughs> <it> i' <laughs> i've I, I have foreshadowed that this is one of my least favorite storylines, the whole Isabel possession and the whole witch you know magical witchcraft thing uh, but I'll say actually rewatching it, trying to find things to talk about. There was a lot more positives than I had expected going into it. I still don't really like the episode, but I found more positive things to talk about than I expected.
1: Yeah, but before I, we get into
0: the, oh, go ahead. I,
1: I was just going to say, I don't think this is anybody's favorite episode. And that, that's kind of one of the reasons why it's interesting to talk about, because it, it's yeah. sort of an infamous storyline, you know, in season four, which I think is an otherwise good season. But uh, yeah, but yeah th- that's what makes this compelling is that nobody forgot this episode for better or worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. Uh, But before we get into that, though, we always want to take a minute here and we do our pass the torch question. And so last week, Michael had asked, if you had Clark's power, what or should I say powers, what high school activity, sport or club would you risk exposing your powers for? This is in relation to Clark finally joining the football team.
1: Yeah, you know, I thought about a couple answers for this. I mean, if if we're going to include just a broad explanation of activities, the obvious answer should probably be dating in high school. Like, I don't know why mm. he's not using this to impress girls a little bit more. Uh, but if it's uh, just just centered on school itself, uh, football is one thing. Maybe you can get a scholarship out of that. But I mean, I would just think if exams is an activity, I wouldn't mind exposing my powers just to get through your exams in the quickest time possible. You know, you could be going back and forth, checking your textbook, if you don't answer a question. And then, then you don't have to worry about flunking or retaking a test. I mean, I would think exams don't even have to worry about being on a football field with a thousand people watching you. You got just the people yeah. in the classroom who might see you speeding through this and gust of wind or something like that. And then you ace your test and you get a scholarship anyways.
0: <laughs> very, very true. I thought about it. And I think what I had come up with, which probably would be the safest thing in my mind, would be the golf team. <laughs> Because you could still get golf scholarships and really, you know, you don't have to expose a lot of power because, you know, the best golfers in the world, you know, is really usually come down to putting. But like his super strength really doesn't help him all that much. But it's more about the precision. Like he's Mm -hmm. never going to slice. He's never going to have a bad, uh, you know, a bad read. And if he does have a bad putt, he could super speed over and nudge the ball and make it go in the hole, you know? So I think he could get away with it for a very, very long time. So minimal risk, pretty big upside. There are scholarships to colleges for golf teams certainly there's professional golf players who make, you know, millions of dollars. So I think it's a low risk, high reward, uh, type of activity for someone with superpowers. Versus something like, oh, I don't know, football, for example.
1: Well, especially in a place like Kansas, you know, I I doubt the crowds for the golf team are going to be as high as football where everybody's watching you, right?
0: Right. Low competition, too. He's probably going to be the best golfer in the state day one, (laughs) right? All right. So we're going to do our Smallville Superlative today for this episode is Best Fight. So again, for all of season four, we're looking at some of the best, greatest, of type of uh, you know trope sort of things in smallville this episode we have a pretty interesting fight with clark versus the three witches because he is of course uh, susceptible to magic powers so there will be a link in the show notes as well as posted on twitter and on facebook and on the reddit post for your nomination dear listener you can go and list uh, nominate your best fight through any of season one through four. So not just up to this episode, season four, but the entirety of season four. Uh, again, at the end of the season, I'm going to put all these nominations together, make a clip show, and actually announce winners for each of the categories. So with that out of the way, it's now time to open the Smallville yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are. Hey, Clark. Look came to check
1: up on you. William Taylor as Mr. Jacobson and Laura Gilchrist as Madeline Hibbins.
0: We also have Mark Eschion as Magistrate Wilkins, and Melanie Papalia as Brianna Withbridge, or Withridge. Sorry. Uh, so now it's time to grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet. Check the bylines to see who brought us this episode.
1: I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet.
0: So we're here today to discuss Season 4, Episode 8, Spell. The date of original airing was November 10th, 2004. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Seichel and Joe Shuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer for this episode was Stephen S. DeKnight.
1: And the director, I'm sure even he would butcher his name, but I'll give it my best shot, Jeanette Zwark, uh, who of course is coming back from uh, season three doing Perry and Velocity, but is probably more well known for directing the 1984 Supergirl film, so with the franchise of Superman a long time.
0: Very, very cool. So, Colin, are you now ready to explore the Kwachi Caves to get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we may be going?
1: 100%. Let's do it. After Lana reads from a book written in the 1600s containing magical spells, she, Lois, and Chloe become possessed by witches who had been burned at the stake.
0: And that's great and all, but it doesn't tell us what we really need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? No. Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Yes. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? No. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever-crushed Lana his powers and or abilities?
1: Yes, on more than one occasion.
0: Follow-up. Does that person or persons die, lose their memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or do they become a confidant of Clark?
1: Possibly, but uh, they have cheated death before, so remains to be seen. Yes.
0: Uh, Does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly?
1: Again, possibly.
0: (laughs) Does Clark casually break into a business or residence? No. Does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? Yes. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over their shoulder? Yes. Was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder Lex?
1: Big surprise, yes.
0: Yes. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters?
1: I think it's subtle, but I'm going to go with a yes.
0: Thirsty. Fantastic. Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Sadly, no. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop wherein a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desires? Yes. And finally, does this episode feature a classic small, though, leap of logic wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion around who or what is behind some mysterious event or otherwise solves a problem with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Yes. Fantastic. So now that we have a clear roadmap of where we're going, let's use our x-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. So in our cold open, we open the year 1604 in France. Three women are burned at the stake for witchcraft, and it appears also for their knowledge about the stones of power. One of these women is the Countess Margaret Isabel Thoreau. She casts a spell and promises that someday her heir will revive her for her revenge. In the present day, Lana has purchased the Countess's spell book and unknowingly finishes the spell, allowing the the Countess to possess her body. All right, Colin, so first time on the show, you kind of know how things work. We don't necessarily have to go chronological order. What in the cold open here stuck out to you? What do you want to talk about?
1: The first thing is the whole heir. And the genealogy that never really makes, this is very back to the future. Everybody in this bloodline is apparently identical, uh, but also just the mm-hmm. fact like she identifies, she has an heir, which means what she has children. She has a
0: husband, none of which are present in the cold open. Right. That, that is actually my biggest, we'll start from my biggest thing. Cause like we've seen this before, all kinds of popular media has the, the long lost descendant, but generally speaking, it's normally a male, Sire, because they have the ability to have lots of progeny, right? Mm. She appears to be like a 20-something-year-old lady. If she has a kid, probably people know. (laughs) They're willing to burn her at the stake, not to be graphic, but I feel like after that big pronouncement about how my heir will revive me, they'd go find this kid and take care of the problem.
1: Yeah, well, not to mention, if lana is any representation of this bloodline that kid's gonna look exactly like her in what 15 years so i mean yeah. they're, they're gonna be immediately saying that's her she's come back to life like they're burning people to the stake like she cheated death we got to
0: kill her again yeah you just it seems like that whole air thing and i and i guess because like early on they mentioned that isabel like i think lana says she happens to be from the same area of france that my ancestors are from but she never sort of like identify her as her actual ancestor, mm. though it seems pretty clear that that's what this is saying. So does she not know? Like, does she not track... Because if she knew to track her her lineage back to that village, you think she would be able to put the pieces together. So I, maybe there's like a hidden child, which I'm not saying it's not outside the realm of possibility, but I just think it would be... There's more steps involved for a hidden child of a 20-something lady than there would be how many possible children a man of that age could have had yeah given the time time frame that kind of thing although
1: I mean, at the same time she doesn't necessarily say direct heir. i mean an heir could be you know if you have no children maybe your niece or something like that but then it gets true, even more confusing true. why they look so much alike
0: yeah yeah very much so I think the reveal that Kristen was the person wasn't nearly as dramatic as they thought it would be. I mean, it, it was very clear who it was from the beginning. The voice is distinctive, the bottom of the face, you know, kind of the Batman situation. I think everyone knows who Batman would be. Uh, but the whole reveal where she turns and it played well, but was anybody who actually watches the show like surprised by that? Yeah.
1: I, I, I think one of the things that I do kind of like about this is it's a flashback, which you don't often get. In Smallville, like right opening the mm-hmm. episode, but i I don't know if I fear the same with this like what one of the problems I have with any TV show is when you have these fantasy sequences, flashbacks, or anything where a person's playing a different character in this case, it's possession, sometimes if somebody has a dream sequence, and to me, those are always like my least favorite episodes of TV shows because you're not getting the character, you're not getting a storyline. And I always look at those as actor appeasements because you talk to any actor or you hear from any actor and those are the episodes they typically love the most. It's like, oh, I got to do something completely different, but it's just not as fun to watch for the audience. As, I don't know if you have the same mm-hmm. opinion.
0: I mean, I'm sure if I think about it long enough, I can come up with some examples, you know, one-offs where a particular show or a particular actor did it very well. But I do agree with you. I think that's something, you know, especially if you're on a long-running show where you're playing the same character... Those those times where they do flip the script in some way, like we talked about the whole body swap episode mm-hmm. with Lionel going into Clark's body. I'm sure that was a blast yeah. for for those two actors, you know, to get to play the other person, pretending to be them. Because it's just different; it's new; it's it's a new experience. But yeah, I don't know that it generally works very well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and I think in situations like that where it is body swap or Red Kryptonite, or something, you know, you're, you're still being able to play a character you're familiar with. I almost feel bad for Kristen Kruth that, like, they're dropping this character in lap and she is, you know, still kind of learning how to act at this point. I mean, still to this day, yeah. she doesn't necessarily identify herself as the greatest actress in the world. Uh, but, sure. uh, but for what she has to do here, I mean, the laugh is all the evidence you need that she's very uncomfortable with this, like, the evil witch laugh where I'm sure maybe it was kind of fun, but, like, she must have felt pretty silly to, ah, like the cackle.
0: And I will have vengeance! Yeah, and she she plays it very big. I mean, for the most part, Lana is generally sort of quiet, Mm -hmm. restrained. I mean, obviously she has her emotional outbursts, but her character generally is pretty still and quiet. And this is a very big bombastic performance where, you know, she's like, my air will revive that and the, the whole thing. Yeah. But I do wonder because we have this magistrate Wilkins who who comes in asking about the stones of power. So it seems pretty clear to me that she's actually being burned at the stake because she's after the stones mm-hmm. too. the witchcraft is just sort of like a convenient ex- excuse to have her burned.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that unfortunately gets lumped in with the witch episode is the stones because as far as i'm concerned i think the stones were a great addition to the season it's just this witch storyline kind of taints it like you're you're almost spoiling it too early I, i actually really like the idea that going back a couple hundred years people were looking out for these stones you know that they were worried about what the stones could do others are like how could i use these stones to my advantage that's kind of a mythology that i think works in a season like this but when you're introducing it maybe still this early in the season and you're saddling it with cheesy stuff like witches and cauldrons and stuff like that. Like, it's going to sour you for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, I, I've done some reading on this episode. I, I do all that I try to find. And it's pretty consistent that the producers, the writers, the actors are all like, yeah, this wasn't the best episode. But I think the idea behind it is interesting. Mm-hmm. You do have sort of a reincarnation storyline and we've seen that throughout the show. You know, how many times has Clark now died and changed and that kind of thing. So that kind of fits. But the big thing they talk about is they wanted to bring in magic because magic is one of the few things besides Kryptonite that can hurt Clark slash Superman. So I do like the concept of, yeah, we need to get magic in here to show that Clark is vulnerable to magic. Cause that I think that might be sort of a you know call to the mythos of Superman just because it's it's a, revel- a revelation of, of the Superman character. So, but I just, I don't think, I think execution matters. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a con- well-conceived idea and an interesting idea, I don't think it just, it doesn't work on the screen, at least for me. If Again, if anyone's listening, if this is your favorite episode, <laughs> dear God, please write me. I want to know why. And no shade. I just want to know what is it about this, sh- if this is an episode that, even if it's not your favorite, if this is one you love, I want to hear from you. Please let me know because I would yeah. love to be able to come back next episode and say, "Well, this person says they love it, and here's why." I will give you full airtime, uh, you know, t- to relay those to the audience.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if have you ever listened to Michael Rosenbaum, um, his his podcast that he has. Yeah, yeah, he mm-hmm. he interviewed Kristen Crook recently, and uh, one of the questions that uh, was asked was has not even just speak about Smallville, like has any director ever asked you to do something that you felt very uncomfortable with? And she's sort of pausing, thinking about it, and he says, It's gotta be the witch episode, right? Like even the actors are like, Yeah, that one was not fun.
0: <laughs> I actually think the vampire one, like the oh. buffy knockoff when they go to college, is right up there too, yeah. with bottom of the barrel. Um and I think I've I've heard Kristen talk about that episode too. Yeah. So she tells this magistrate Wilkins to get her book. He, being a dope, is like, oh, you mean your spell book? Here, let me open it for you. Uh, she then spits blood onto it, which I actually think kind of a cool moment. Uh, though, did she have to bite her own tongue to get the blood? Like, where did the blood come from? Whatever. And then she casts the spell, and she says in Latin, remito. And I've done some Googling for every spell that is on here. I've, I've done my best. Sometimes I was able to find it really easily because other people have done the work. Some of them I had to translate myself. As best I can tell, this translates to uh, release the soul. And then we get, she gets the same back tattoo that Lana has of the water Kryptonian symbol for transference, as we learned in another episode. Uh, she then gets burned on the stake.
1: I think there's an issue with that though, because she's saying release the soul as in like, okay, my soul is no longer my body. It's going somewhere else. And then the tattoo appears, but like the tattoo for Lana is what's sort of showing you that the soul is now in her. So wouldn't it have made more sense to do that opposite where you see the tattoo and she says, release the soul and then it disappears?
0: Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Or I mean... Yeah, I, I don't, again, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. It definitely could use an extra draft of, yeah. of this script, I think. We do get a pretty interesting, I actually think, we get a transition of the flames of that fire to the flame in the fireplace inside the Lana's apartment above the Talon. She's there with Jason, and this is where we learn that she bought the spell book off of eBay, which I have to say, okay, I get it. It's 2004, but but at the same time... Like it would have been more interesting. I think if the book had been sent to her by someone mm-hmm. like just this package showed up, I don't know what it is. This is this weird book, but I don't know the whole thing about her. She said she found it on eBay and it was calling to her. So was it calling to her to go on eBay <laughs> and search for spell books or was she browsing eBay and happened to get to the spell book section? And then like, that just does not work for me at all.
1: I mean, there's a character connected with, Somebody in this episode that later in the season you're going to realize is very much pulling some of the strings. That it almost would have made more sense to say if they sent this to me, right?
0: So much more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, so much more. sense. But like, what's yeah.
1: the modern equivalent of this? Like, if it's 2022 now, is she going on like the Pirate Bay and getting you know, a, a PDF
0: of this book? Yeah, then maybe getting kickstarted, <laughs> like <laughs> I, you know, like kickstarted the excavation of a spell book. I, I, I don't actually know. But she starts flipping through it. So Jason points out that there are symbols on it, matched symbols in the cave. They're Kryptonian symbols. Uh, Lana's flipping through the book. She gets to the page where the Countess had, had spat on it. And this apparently finishes the spell. The flames in the, the fireplace roar up. Jason kind of gets thrown back. And then like the, the, the tattoo on Lana's back sort of lights up and then her eyes turn purple. And this is where we now know that she is basically possessed by the Countess.
1: There is one line that I really like to Jason here. Like, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Jason at this point in the season, because sometimes he does just sort of fall into Whitney 2.0. But mm. when you can really let, like, Jensen Ackles have something maybe funny to say and show a little bit of charisma, like the line where she's like, how's your French? And he says, well, it's not, not as good as my Italian, which I also don't speak like. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that line. Like, I think that Jason probably has a little bit more to do in this episode then some of the other ones where he's just broody boyfriend on the side kind of jealous but anytime he gets to do some humor like i'm I'm behind this guy
0: again i've said before i think he's effortlessly charming the i think he's just a great actor so i see him like i see can see why he went to supernatural and was there for 15 years Mm. like he's just he's just got that charisma so all right anything else in the cold open you want to talk about or we can move on to the first act
1: no let's move on Lois arrives at the farm to set up for Chloe's surprise birthday party, despite Clark's objections. The Countess is using Lana's apartment to brew a potion, but needs a hair from two separate virgins. She takes one of Lana's, but can't use Lois's, obviously. Uh, At the farm, Clark is wrapping a gift. Lana, slash the Countess, stops by, and leaves with one of Clark's hairs.
0: Okay, first act here. First of all, I love the stormy sky. There's been a few instances where we're out on the farm when it seems really clear that there's like actual weather phenomenon happening. You can tell by the lighting, there may be like actual thunder rolling in the background. I love all of that. This looks a little bit fake mm-hmm. to me, but it still works for me.
1: Yeah, there's also a shot once you see Clark inside the barn. And I'm always looking for stuff like that when you're like, ooh, it's a cloudy day or whatever. And then the next shot you're looking, can I see the sunshine? Yeah, you can see the sunshine peeking through (laughs) in other shots. But, you know, it's obviously good for the mood of this episode. It makes more sense that it is a stormy day.
0: Yeah, I I think so. Very much so. So we we know that they're setting up for chloe's 18th birthday which does solidify that there was a production error earlier in the year on chloe's gravestone it identified her as the wrong this is something from that book i read i don't exactly get it apparently her age doesn't match up with an earlier thing that we saw because of this but whatever um i do love the fact that clark's like why are you here i told you you couldn't have the party and lois just (laughs) runs over him he's like you won't even notice us you know that kind of thing which we know means that it will not go that way but it's still kind of fun
1: Yeah, I can't even remember the exact exchange of dialogue, but uh, I mean, this is how much Erica Durant brings to season four. I mean, a lot of me becoming like a fanatic with season four was just how incredibly charismatic she was. And the way that it goes back and forth, she's like, Clark, we talked about this. And he's like, we talked about it. And I said, no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we talked about it. And I said, no. Yeah,
1: those exchanges, (laughs) like these two, I mean, obviously everybody wants them to get to Clark and Lois later on, but it was just so Mm -hmm. much. I almost feel like they maybe would have done it one or two seasons earlier if it wasn't just so much fun to watch them bicker like brother and sister half the time.
0: Yeah, that, I, I've said this before. I think season four has been all bangers. The moment she came on screen, the show got better. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, again, I read to those uh, companion guys that she was only supposed to be in like three episodes mm-hmm. season four, but they loved her so much. They just kept finding ways to bring her back in. And I absolutely lo- love that. I want her. I want more Lana or excuse me, more Lois all the time.
1: You can also kind of see though, certain episodes like this one in particular, where they probably, if the script wasn't complete already, they had everything, you know, first draft or, or whatever. And they're like, oh, we got to bring her back in the show. Where are you going to fit her in? It's like, well, let's write one quick scene. Because it's really not until, uh, I guess, she gets kicked out of college later in the season where it becomes clear. Okay, now they have a plan for her. There's a lot of these yeah. episodes where like they drop her in there. But yet it still works. She pulls it off.
0: Yeah, it's like, well, we have a witch. We can just kill two other witches, yeah. right? Because <laughs> I'm sure it was, Yeah, we'll make Chloe and I'll get Because why not put all three of them in like skin tight leather outfits? That's not going to go over well, right? Right. (laughs) So one of my favorite parts of the episode is we cut back to Lana's place and she's (laughs) brewing potions, and it looks so silly. It does. I'm sorry, it looks so silly. And I was able to pause and get the ingredient list. So this is the these are the ingredients (laughs) for this potion she's putting together: wings of a bat, salamander tails. Petal of a rose, fungus, feet of a lizard, something that looks like gloves. I think it's supposed to say clothes. I think but clothes it's very. Too, yeah. much, but it looks like a G to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Hair of two virgins, oil of mushrooms, twigs of a fig tree, pomegranate <laughs> juice, seaweed. Those are the ingredients you need for resurrection slash reincarnation slash souls in hell come possess these two bodies. <laughs> wow
1: it it, like you said it's the way that looks it's so like hocus pocus like the the brewing cauldron and the 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 steam coming off of it whatever and just just the way she's acting it it's 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 like something out of a kid's show you know (laughs) it's not a realistic depiction but that that shopping list she has there i mean half of this stuff is easy like she get at the seaweed you go to the grocery store I kind of wonder with, like, the fungus and the mushroom oil. It's like, can she just use a mushroom then? Because there's, like,
0: oil in mushrooms? Right. Yeah. Do you need both of those? Like, I I just feel like they're like, hey, we need a list for this. But somebody, like, they had, like, a production assistant just throw together a list. And they're like, bats and lizards and, like, oil. <laughs> like, it just, that, oh, my God, it was so silly. And, and why I is- do like how i was right. just
1: saying, why is the hair of two virgins the thing that she struggles with in here? Like, are salamanders commonly used in grocery stores or wherever she's getting the rest of the stuff in, in Smallville, Kansas?
0: Yeah, do you just, do you just find I Maybe mean, she just grabbed one off the windowsill. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. But, again, I do. I mean, because I think clearly the hair of two virgins is just one to let us know for sure that Lois is not a virgin. Yeah. Two, it lets us know that Lana still is, because I think there's still some ickiness about the whole Jason-Lana relationship. I think there are questions about that, and that is a way to basically very very clearly say they are not in a sexual relationship right now. Mm-hmm. And then we get the gag with Clark later, which I have problems with as well. But I do like that when Lois stops by, they're like, what's going on? And she plays it off like it's a science experiment. Uh, Uh, again that worked well enough but you can tell Lois is just acting or excuse me I keep going Lana is acting weird here
1: well I've been kind of preoccupied science project from what century it's a whole retro thing trying to recreate some of the stuff they did back in the 1600s
0: but again, Erica Durance when she pulls the hair and says, I don't have gray hair. And then she kind of like looks up like that is brilliantly played for laughs. Uh, that part works for me completely.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing with the the whole Virgin thing, they continue to try to reinforce this throughout the course of the season. So it's almost like they did this episode and people were still offended because uh, I can't remember if it's late or late in season four, the beginning of season five, they readdress this between Clark and, and lana where he's like oh so you and jason never and she's like, no and it's like and you and alicia never no like this this should be clear enough she's still a virgin or maybe people questioned it after this but uh, another thing just as far as trivia goes i mean she goes for lois uh, you've probably covered these and watched all the episodes prior to this more recently than i have had they done the reveal of chloe you know losing her virginity uh when she was in metropolis or that come later
0: I think it comes later. I'm pretty sure. That I think it's in this season, but I don't remember when. Because I remember the scene very clearly when she talks about that happening. But I don't. I think it's later. I, yeah. don't, think it's, I don't think it's happened yet. But so. this is
1: almost like foreshadowing if you know that's coming later. It's like she doesn't even bother to ask Chloe. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Or Chloe wasn't really there at the time. But but again, you you have to go to Clark. And I guess <laughs> I guess she's probably reading Lana's memories that she assumes Clark is probably a virgin. Probably a good call, honestly. Yeah, But... There's no one else, because apparently <laughs> she can just look at them and tell. Yeah. So, I mean, and the Talon's downstairs. There's got to be some, like, book-obsessed, nerdy kid in Clark. the Talon drinking ca- cappuccinos and, you know, reading poetry. I just don't feel like she would need to go all the way out to the farm to get Clark. I and mean, ju- unfortunately, we're jumping ahead, I think.
1: Well, you know, I would say there's no soccer moms that she would have passed on the street to Clark's house that had, like, yeah. th- their three-year-old kid there. She just quickly plucks the hair out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So then we cut over to the farm where Clark is terribly wrapping a present. It's got to be one of the worst wrapping jobs in the world. And I think there's actually a cut scene, I, I, I have in the notes later, that shows there's a li- deleted scene where it's an old-fashioned typewriter similar to the one that her hero Nellie Bly would have used. So her and uh, Lois and I think um, Clark had bought that together and that was the present they were to give her. But of course it's, sky blue paper with a red bright ribbon on it right so lana stops by nana slash the countess and she's doing this really weird thing with her shoulders like she's sort of like (laughs) slinking in a way that just doesn't quite work so why does she need the scissors anyway to cut? she doesn't know who he is so she should she's pulled out her own hair she's pulled out lois's hair why would she need scissors why why would she even think that hey i need to have a pair of scissors with me it makes no sense
1: she goes for a whole lock of hair too she even tells him it's like oh i need a lock of your hair for the scrapbook or whatever but yeah like one hair would suffice (laughs) this is obviously just we want to show powers involving his hair
0: it's just a a gag it's just a a, a gag of look his, his scissors can't cut his hair and, you know, and I think she plays it off sort of like, it's for a scrapbook I'm making for Chloe. But the whole thing makes absolutely no sense. It's just, it's just, it's a whole scene written for a gag that doesn't work.
1: One thing I want to quickly talk about with the present, this is 100% me. I am like the world's worst rapper. Uh, I have had <laughs> birthdays and Christmas where I completely misjudged. I mean, sure, everybody's done this. You misjudge, oh, I don't have enough wrapping paper. And most people would say, okay, well, I will... Cut a new piece. I will like, mm. okay, I'm going to go get a different type of wrapping paper. So I've got mm. three different mismatches. I had one where I like ran out of wrapping paper. So I took a flyer out of a newspaper <laughs> and I taped that on top. Like it, it's almost now become a competition. You know, can, can I top myself for my bad wrapping jobs?
0: How to, how poorly can you wrap a present? Yeah, That's funny.
1: To, to me, Clark is like, wow, this guy's an expert. <laughs> yeah.
0: You'd think someone with super speed would be able to get it done. What? <laughs> But Lana goes into like kiss him again. This is all Countess and and I again. I want to give a little bit of credit. Clark says Jason is my friend. Like this is what he wants. He wants to kiss Lana so badly. But even him, then he stills like. But you're dating someone I consider a friend. And Lana's like, well, he doesn't think so. Which is like kind of an interesting sort of because again, she's reading Lana's mm-hmm. uh, memories, of course. Uh, I do want to point out that in the comics that I'm familiar with, we learned that Superman shaves and cuts his hair with his heat vision off of a reflective surface. But that begs the question. He only got his heat vision like in season two, I think. Mm. So how is he getting haircuts till then?
1: <laughs> or shaving? I mean, he should look like the Unabomber at the start of season
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've sort of insinuated that his powers are growing. So maybe he could cut his hair when he was mm-hmm. in eighth grade and now he can't. But again, it just, I don't know, sort of a weird thing. All right. So th- that's pretty much all there is in Act 1. We get this potion brewing scene and then we get this scene. But is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on?
1: One thing I did notice was uh, giving some credit to Kristen Kruk and what's obviously a very difficult episode to play uh, for somebody of her age and experience. She brings in this Hannibal Lecter thing where she doesn't blink. And I only caught it around this scene with Clark. And it, it actually gets a little bit little bit freakier the more it goes on you don't quite know what's unsettling and then I, maybe because i've seen Silence of the lambs enough and you sort of know anthony mm. hopkins never blinks in those movies i started watching like she's not blinking like that's it's a clever thing as an actor to bring in to do something that's just a little bit unsettling and different that nobody mm-hmm. in the audience is going to watch this one time and say she's not blinking but she's doing something as an actor that's going to rub people the wrong way and, and right. make this character seem a little bit more out there because now
0: that you say that, I think I did notice that there was something going on, but I never mm-hmm. put it together that she wasn't blinking. Because she does have very big expressive eyes. That's you know, one of the things about her character that I think people are drawn to. If you listen to the, any of the audio commentaries on the DVDs, there's one where I think you know, it's Tom Willing and uh, Michael Rosenbaum, and they basically compare her to like a Disney princess mm-hmm. in the cartoon. Like She just has these big expressive eyes. And so I think I, I did pick up that there was something going on, but I didn't put it together that she wasn't blinking. That's was a great catch. Mm-hmm. All right. So into, into our second act, Lana slash the Countess stops by to see Lex for a bottle of wine. When she notices the illuminated page um, that he, you know, the Russian literature book he has, she takes it and then spells Lex. The Countess completes her spell and brings her two fellow witches into the bodies of Lois and Chloe. And they plan to resume their quest to find the stones. So second act, I'll let you start off here. What do you want to talk about?
1: With Lex, it's the way he jumps on her as soon as she says, you know, there's a map underneath where like, how did you know that? Like very dramatic. Whereas I think Lex would be a little bit cooler than that. He'd be like, no, there's not.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're imagining. Or, or how do you know? That's yeah, an interesting, that's an interesting theory.
1: Yeah. Like Lex is that guy who always wants more information. It's like, well, tell me, why do you think that? Like him? No. Wait, wait, wait. How did you know that? Like he's just, he's very aggressive in the way that he confronts her about that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Sort of, sort of unLex like, but mm-hmm. this wasn't this wasn't a subtle episode. Not that many of them are, but this one they just had to get <laughs> to the next thing pretty quickly. Exactly. So he is playing the piano, but we we have established earlier in one of the earlier episodes, I think, in an earlier season, when um, Ian Summerhold as Adam was playing the piano, that Lex basically says that he either doesn't play or doesn't play well. But here he's playing <laughs> concert level. Beautiful. Before so not Yeah. Maybe he got jealous of Adam and picked up yeah. uh, after that. But apparently, according to the internet, what he's playing is impromptu number two by Schubert.
1: You can see Schubert on, like, the sheet music, too.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, there's definitely some editing where you can see the transition to <laughs> we can see the hands playing to around the back. And now we see Lex's face because clearly it's not actually Michael Rosenbaum playing.
1: The piano gag is, I think, the the best thing that's going to come in this episode. But uh, but it's interesting what you, what you said about uh, the Adam thing because again, that's something that fits in with Lex's character. You know, sure, it's been six months or whatever, but he would be that guy. Is like, well, I'm I'm better than Adam. Watch what I can do. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can I can learn to play the piano that, that beautifully if I try. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so Lana's asking for wine, and of course Lex is like, "But you're not old enough to drink." <laughs> And or date a coach. <laughs> or date a coach, right. So, But, but she kind of convinces him that she just, she just needs a, a, a wine, like nothing too hardcore to celebrate Chloe's 18th birthday. He relents, but uh, she then asks for a very specific bottle.
1: Actually, I was looking more for a vintage Merlot from the south of France. Something from a vineyard in the Languedoc or possibly the Dordogne. That should do in a pinch. Your taste has certainly matured from a summer in Paris. He should have just been like, how did you know the name of that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, how did you ever, exactly, you would think. Uh, But while he's gone to get the wine, that's when she notices the picture. And this is where they kind of have the, you you know, he just kind of accuses her. And she says, you're lying. The map was not meant for you. There's a hidden map. How do you know? So then she casts a spell, Veneas Chet, which uh, translates to liberate written charter. And then the, the page disappears. We don't see where it goes. I don't know if it does she have in her hand or if it just now is folded up neatly in her pocket. So then she says, finis, which translates to the end, which causes Lex to freeze. I guess there's no frozen, like you've, there's that's no translation there. And then she compels him to play the, the piano infinitas, which is infinity. So he sits down and begins to play the piano. And this just reminds me of like Faye. Like there's lots of like uh, myths and fairy tales and fables of people being compelled by spirits and fairies to do this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that's what came to my mind um so anything else in that scene in particular you want to talk about
1: uh, This is what I think the episode should have been more of i We have them doing it right here by let's use this witch's power to do something that's that's so unusual and it's not that she's just casting a spell and somebody's falling dead. she's causing them to harm themselves. I mean, what we're going to get later on is so weak in comparison to this, but this I love, and I wish that they'd had more of this episode to make her a scarier villain and not the, just this campy episode around witches or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to pinpoint, I, there's, it, it's not the one I'm thinking about. Witches of Eastwick is something that I sort of thought of with this, but there's another one where I know of where um, th- there's some spell on a person, and they have to do something like this, where again, it's just they can't break themselves of this spell. And it's causing all the self harm. Uh, it's kind of a scary scene in the middle of it. It, it, it sticks yeah. out like a sore thumb, though, because nothing else in this episode is done quite this effectively.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. This is is truly kind of a scary, you know, proposition. And we talked a little bit about it last episode with uh, Mister Mixel Pedelic. Mixel Pedelic. Where he compels Chloe to kiss him, and it's clear in the way that um, Alice and Mac plays that. That she's aware of what she's doing, but she doesn't want to do it, which is what mm-hmm. makes it so terrifying that, yeah. you know, you are not lost in your mind. You are in the forefront and you don't want to do something that your body's making you do it anyways. And that's very much the way Michael Rosenbaum plays this, is that he seems like he can't believe what's happening and yet he can't stop it either. And we're going to find out that this goes on for a day, mm-hmm. maybe, because Clark will find later, which I have a big problem with that. But still... Like, like, let's just say twenty hours of him sitting there the whole time, like wanting to stop and not being able to. Mm-hmm. That is, it's torture, is mm-hmm. what it is. And you're right, that's interesting, that's compelling. More of that, less of other stuff, please.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. One thing you mentioned, the translation um, when the other witches are, do you say it was released the written charter or something?
0: That when she steals the the page out of that. Like acrylic case oh. that the illuminated manuscript in—that's what it releases the page. That's what she seals that page.
1: I—I <laughs> I th- I was picturing like they were cursed for life because there was something written in the town's charter, <laughs> oh, yeah. all the way back in the 1600s.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So that's the next thing we get to. This is where the she's actually finishing the spell. There's a whole bunch of Latin. I'm not going to try to read that. <laughs> But the translation is through the moon and sea, return from beneath the water. Apparently that's just, she's just saying that multiple times over and over and over again. So I don't know, did they sink their bodies in the water? Is it because they're on the other side of the world? They have to go through? I, I don't know. But that's what the spell she's casting. We do then see the three Kryptonian Stones of Power symbols illuminate on the earth. And we have uh, water, fire, air are the three symbols. And just as she's finishing, that's when Lois and Chloe show up. She gets them to drink uh the wine and this is what allows uh the two other witches to possess the bodies.
1: And then the line that uh that Lois has if <laughs> you took note of that where she's basically like these are fantastic <laughs> her, Yes. Her yes. <laughs> Lana just getting totally jealous like yeah they're wonderful, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: and I wanted I I'd really do wonder was that in the script? Like did they actually <laughs> write that in the script or is that just Erica Durant's yeah, ad-lib? I yeah. hope I hope that's what it was. Uh, but yeah, because it is like she sort of like grabs her breasts. and She's like, I'm gorgeous. Look at these. <laughs> and I do love Lana's slash husband. She's like, yes, they're very nice. <laughs> they're just it's so deadpan. Like That's probably the highlight, maybe One of the, the highlights of like comedy of the show. And again, I think that's Erica doing her thing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. And and then we get even more of this sort of slapstick comedy where one of the two witches, I think Madeline maybe, she's like, ah, oh, the woods of France. I'd know them anywhere. <laughs> we're in Kansas. <laughs> so was Kansas a thing in 1604? Yeah. <laughs> if you're in France, have you heard of Kansas? There's probably people in France now that haven't heard of Kansas. <laughs> probably. Yes. I just it seems weird, but I kind of feel like we're getting clued in that maybe, you know you have a hard time finding good help in in your quest <laughs> yeah. for the stones of power that these two knuckleheads were not top of the class witches. They were just like the two people that were willing to follow her around and do these things.
1: These are like the boss witches of yeah. France in the 1600s.
0: Basically. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're just goons. But the countess is ready to get back on the quest. and And the other two are kind of hesitant. You're like, you mean the quest that got us burnt at the stake last time? <laughs> so they're not completely dummies like they they also were like well you know maybe
1: and they say they want to have fun later on too like like yeah these these aren't the witches that like obviously the lana or uh margaret isabel or whatever she is the ringleader of this group i mean they do what she tells them to do right right Uh, i like that there is a hierarchy with these witches but one of the things that kind of bothers me throughout this entire episode with them and this is what takes this down from what could have been a serious episode? You still don't need to have the witch storyline, but you do this seriously. Then maybe you have them. I don't speaking with a French accent, speaking in old English, if you still want to have it like centered in the 1600s. But like they, they just seem to be talking the way that Lois, Chloe, and Lana would have talked. And we get yeah. earlier in the scene with Lana that she has the memories, but we've had no reason to believe that these other two have the memories of Chloe and Lois. In fact, there's only one moment later in the episode where you even indicate that the memories could even be buried in there. The fact that they're like, oh, the the woods of France. These two have no idea. I I just wish that maybe they had done a more serious episode where they could talk a little bit like they were witches in 1600, like a little bit more that culture shock. And maybe you could even build some comedy around that, like fish out of water if you want. Right, right. There's no reason that you needed them to just play this like themselves, other than the fact that it's just it's a chance for them to have fun.
0: Right. It's, it's, it's funny. I mean, again, I, I think the grabbing the boobs joke and like, yes, they're very nice. That worked. That was kind of funny. Some of the other stuff doesn't work as well. But I believe Countess actually says you have your host's memories, use them to navigate. So I think we do learn that they do also have the ability to access those, those memories.
1: They're just too lazy to try.
0: <laughs> but I do agree that it would be cool for them to not just be talking Contemporary, like I said,
1: like teenagers in Kansas in 2004. Yeah.
0: It just, it that's one of the reasons why it doesn't feel like this episode has any weight to it mm-hmm. is that it's a very scary concept. This possession, this, I mean, she has true magic power, she can do whatever the hell she wants, basically, but they come across as sort of like silly, yeah, again, like playing dress up pretend, not. There's no, there's no actual fright to it. And then maybe that doesn't fit the tone of the, sto- the show, but then don't do an episode about possession and witches if you're not going to lean into it a little bit. So and, and, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right.
1: Don't do the stones. Like the stones is the big serious arc of the season. And it's like I said earlier, unfortunately, this episode gets lumped in with the story arc that really did work outside of this. You want to do a witch episode. I mean, it's not unusual for Smallville to do just a silly one-off episode. Right, You could still do this and have it connected to the possession of uh, the Countess or whatever, but bringing the stones into this, it, it ends up tainting the rest of the season because you just associate mm. it with this one silly storyline. You do this as a one-off, fun episode. I always uh, incorrectly thought this was a Halloween episode because mm. you know it was right around Halloween but it aired a couple weeks after.
0: Yeah, I think it was November, so it probably would have been like the week after yeah. Halloween. So it might have still been close enough to be considered their Halloween episode. So, yeah. And yeah. you could
1: have forgiven it if it was just a fun Halloween episode, but you're not having it tie into the big arc of the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. All right, so we'll go into our third act here. Clark is at the party, but the girls are not. The witches then arrive and use their magic to turn the party from a pedestrian, from pedestrian to a bacchanal, which is when, of course, the Princeton guy arrives. Clark goes to Lex the next day and finds him still under the Countess's spell. Jason tries to destroy the book, but gets wrecked himself and saved by Clark, who then has a showdown at the barn, but we learn is vulnerable to magic. So we're at the barn. It's very pedestrian party. Blame by Black Toast Music is Plain. The lyrics include, Across the Road and She is Walking Through Lies, which I think is associated with the fact that the girls are going to show up and be pretending to be someone that they're not. Uh, Clark is on the phone trying to reach Lois, I guess. The Princeton guy should be there at any moment. I don't think we really touched on here, but in the show, clearly a, a, a recruiter or a Princeton alum is there to, to meet Clark, potentially for like a scholarship sort of thing. Uh, Jason shows up, and Clark asks if he knows where the girls are, and he gets very snippy because, of course, Jason still thinks that Clark is the one that got him fired as well. And then that's when we get the reveal. So the doors open up, the three girls are there. Where did they get these outfits? This is not what they were wearing when they got burned at the stake, but they're all wearing these like black leather corseted, uh, like thigh high. Again, you know, 20 year old Michael loved it. <laughs> Doesn't really make a lot of sense. It, some of you
1: have to believe that this is already in their closet. Cause I doubt that they took the time to go shopping and like, Ooh, that looks nice. Like yeah. plus they, as witches from the 1600s, they're not going to know fashion of the present day for the sake of the show. I mean, it, it, it does sort of fit their characters that, like you said, the corset aspect, it, it ties in 1600s and 2004, but <laughs> this is just where the episode goes so terribly wrong. Like this entire sequence is just everything that's wrong with this episode. As much as, as you said, you know, it, it's fun as a young 20-something to be watching this episode at the time. Yeah. But now, having to go back and critique it, like, oh, this, this is where it all goes downhill.
0: Yeah, it, it is not good. Jason talks to Lana. She basically blows him off because, again, she doesn't care. Uh, and he leaves very unhappily. The party, of course, is a bit dull. So in a synchronized walk-turn spell, they cast Liberate Bestia which sets the wild beast free. And now the party is the animal house. People just suddenly don't have clothes on. There's guys shirtless girls without tops, just have bras and everyone's like dancing and gyrating and all kinds of stuff's going on here. And of course that's when the Princeton guy walks in. I did think it was interesting though, that Clark is dancing with Chloe and Lana and not Lois. You know, again, what, what we know. And I did read that he's he's purposefully dancing terribly. Mm. So he's doing well, this like very to, I hope to God he's purposely doing yeah. that. So <laughs> so what I read is he's actually a very good dancer and he was intentionally dancing very poorly because it was making uh Kristen and Allison laugh in between takes and stuff. So when you when you see him, he very much is doing this really sort of like almost like loose string puppet sort of like <laughs> gyrations. <Yeah. laughs> It is very funny. And then, he's like, then he invites the uh, Princeton guy to come in and join the party, which is great. And then we immediately smash cut to the next day where he's sort of waking up in the barn. Uh, there's like a guy and a girl jump up out from underneath the hay and run off, uh, which I think is actually kind of a funny little thing. And I assume it's Martha on the other end. She, and he says, don't worry, I made a big impression. <laughs> so so I kind of jumped ahead. So I'll circle back to you. So, so anything about the party or up until here you want to talk
1: about? Oh, a lot. Uh, so okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, like this is the producers getting impatient, wanting to sex up the show. Um, mm. I, I don't know how, how close you're following it back uh, between seasons four and season five, but a lot of the, the media and the publicity that they were doing was basically promoting season five, these characters are all adults now, so they get to have sex, they get to be mm-hmm. sexy. They were just like chomping at the bit, waiting there. And I have a feeling this whole 18th birthday was just their excuse to say, she's 18, it's okay now, you know? Because yeah. you wouldn't have seen this two weeks prior. I mean, it still would have been some innocent uh, part of the show. This is just what's so wrong about this. I mean, you have these powers, you could do anything you want, I mean... You just want an excuse to have a bunch of young, hot people dancing around in their underwear. Like, is that a spell? Is this something they did in the 1600s too?
0: <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. But again, you you have these women who were cut down in their prime. They were all 20 something year old. Ego you know, again, they were in, in France, maybe because they even mentioned that, you know, the boys shower, they don't smell oh, yeah. <laughs> so bad. So, you know, maybe there is a bit of, you know, sowing their wild oats and like having a, a moment of revelry before they go after the stones, which did get them killed. But I agree, it's just an ex- just like the hair thing was an excuse for the gag. This was just an excuse for us to see some skin mm-hmm. to sexy up the show a little bit. Um Again, I, I mean, I think it's very pointed that they that they showed us that Lana is a virgin, that Clark is a virgin, yeah. that Lois is not, and as you know, we're gonna learn. It's, I think it's just a few episodes away, if I'm remembering correctly, that Chloe is not a virgin. She she had a dalliance while she was doing an intern at the uh, Daily Planet. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, because this is kind of an aberrant, like most of the CD, CD, CW shows are pretty sexy, you know, yeah. you think like the Vampire Vampires. Diaries and other things. So this is the the aberrant because they started our characters at 14 years old. They couldn't have them just jumping into bed right away. I mean, you could, but it'd be a little bit weird. Uh, but I think they are. Like I said, I think they're impatient to get past the point where they can still, or they can get to that point. I think. I think you're right. I, I think
1: if you also place this in the timeline of, say, 2004 or whatever. You know, seeing how much more impatient the network would have been, they're like, we got a couple shows here that are big hits. We got Smallville, we got Seventh Heaven. Which one can we get people in their underwear on? You know, it's going to be Smallville (laughs) between those two choices. So, like, yeah, have somebody turn 18 a little bit early. It's not going to matter. I'm I'm glad you read what the translation was for that spell because that has never made any sense to me. Like, all these spells that you have to speak in Latin... And I'm picturing it's like, Gwen Stefani playlist. Like, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But but it does kind of make sense. When, like I'm glad they went to the effort to translate something. And it's not just this ridiculous moment. Like, you have a spell to put on a playlist. I, do you also ever pick up, because obviously when you film scenes like this, you have to have the on-set audio. So people are mime dancing in scenes like this. And mm-hmm. I always love to pick out like in certain shots where people are clearly completely out of sync from the music or even completely out of sync with each other. And I love yeah. a lot of the background extras are just like, I don't know how to dance to nothing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Just sort of.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like me
0: in sixth grade, you know, the yeah. leg tap thing going on. And thank you for, yeah, we did have another needle drop. So the, the music changes when the spells cast to Gwen Stefani's waiting, or what are you waiting for? Uh, which the only lyrics is, What an Amazing Time, which again clearly mm-hmm. coincides with the, uh, the bacchanal revelry of, of the party now. So then the next day, Lex or Clark goes to visit Lex. And he's clearly there to ask for a favor. He wants the Lex to talk to the Princeton guy because he's worried that whatever happened made a bad impression. And that's when he notices that Lex is still playing the piano. He, the makeup of Michael Rosenbaum, he seems almost delirious. He's basically been awake for 24 hours or so. His fingers are bleeding from playing. But I have to ask, did no one <laughs> at the mansion, security, chef, yeah limo driver, secretary, administrative assistant. No one come in and say, "Hey Mr. Luther, would you like dinner?" and <laughs> realize that he's playing the piano and says, "Is he such a taskmaster that everyone was terrified like did he say, "Do not bother me when I'm practicing my <laughs> piano?" and so no one would come in. That made no sense to me that he would still be undiscovered a day later.
1: This is just the running gag of the Luther mansion having the most security ever for a low security mansion. Like there's no cameras ever, you know, there there's security people there around the clock, but nobody who ever checks in at the right times. And yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like the amount of time that's passed, it was probably just before sundown when, uh, when, uh, he started playing the piano it's morning. I mean, probably at least eight, nine,
0: 12 hours, let's say 12. Yeah. 12 hours roughly.
1: Yeah, twelve hours and nobody's checking in. I mean, maybe this is a weekend and they have the weekends off. <laughs> I don't know, but I still I picture picture Lex being a pretty demanding billionaire who he's got appointments on a Saturday. You know?
0: Yeah, he's got. He's probably missed have- a call. He's like somebody's like, "Hey, where's this Lex dude at?" Like, we have a conference call. We had a Zoom, which yeah, wasn't yeah. a thing in two thousand four, but you know what I mean.
1: He's got. He's got somebody whose entire job it is just to dust the keys of the piano. I mean, maybe <laughs> they did come in and they're like that's going to take more than like a duster. Like, I'm going to need to go get some more cleaning supplies.
0: You get that. I quit. I'm not putting up with it. (laughs) Like that could have been a funny moment. Yeah. But also we have a, we have a demonstration of super strength when Clark just shoves the piano Mm -hmm. away. I'm sure it's on wheels, but still that's the whole joke about, you know, you know, you two people in a room can do a lot more than a whole room, except move a piano Mm -hmm. that I mean, I get that Lex is in distress, but he just didn't notice that Clark super strength shoved the piano out of the yeah. way.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Lex is the most suspicious character on this show. Even if they just threw something in where, you know, Lex's eyes are closed, it kind of makes more sense. Because uh, I was watching this with my wife and she she pointed out the exact same thing. It's like, shouldn't, you know, Lex be picking up on the fact he shoved a piano? Now, it's not like he shoves it and it shatters into pieces on the wall. This isn't Superman Returns, but still it is mm. a piano. And this mm-hmm. is a piano that he couldn't break free from for hours. I mean, his eyes are still bugged wide open, too. Yeah, You know, there there were better ways that they could have done this. But uh but still. They didn't t- even need
0: the shove anyway. He could have just pulled Lex away. Yeah, exactly. Like Lex is lighter than a piano. <laughs> right. And it seems like that's the only thing they needed to do to break the spell was just to separate them even momentarily. He could have just pulled Lex away. That's not super strength showing, mm-hmm. you know, and have the same effect. But they just wanted to super strength moment. So they, they put it in there. Yeah. It, it just uh, didn't need to be in there. I think it, again, it just, it's, it's an added thing that was subtractive, not added for some reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I completely agree. Uh,
0: so then we cut to Lana's apartment where Jason has the spell book. And again, I think this is a little bit of a leap of logic. We certainly know what's happening. But Jason's kind of new to Smallville. (laughs) Yeah. And I think he's experienced the the super drink that makes people, you know, the devoted episode. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't know how much weird Smallville stuff he's dealing with. So for him to go to this book has possessed you, so I'm going to destroy it, seems like a little bit of a leap for me. Uh, Maybe, but still. Uh, but, of course, it's not going to work because you just destroy it. You don't threaten it. When you got a powerful witch possessing someone you love, you take the book and you incinerate it, and then you come and check and see if it had the desired effect. Hmm. Just a word of warning for, you know, PSA for any lovelorn people out there dating women younger than them who are possessed by a countess <laughs> from the 1600s. <laughs>
1: All those listeners out there. All those – li- if this is
0: you, like, Yeah. <laughs> So she uses the spell of Vapulate, which means carry, and Sursum, which means upward, to throw him against the wall. that's when Clark bursts in, and the Countess uses her magic to throw Jason out the window. Clark zooms and catches him. And there's a moment where Jason seems like he's awake at this moment, but then it shows him unconscious. So we are counting it as our unconscious person. We're not counting any of the people at the party, though it does seem like everyone partied till they went unconscious. It could have just been a natural sleep state. Mm-hmm. So we're not counting that, but we are counting Jason as being unconscious here because he doesn't realize that Clark did all this stuff. And the only reason the only way that makes sense is for him to have been unconscious when Clark caught him. Uh, and then we get the big, uh, the barn at midnight in the, Fire on the side of the, the building which why the barn like like <laughs> why did they choose the barn as their showdown place
1: you know first of all the effect of that looks so bad like the, the purple yeah. glow <laughs> it's very w- windows xp screensaver but yeah like is this some type of sacred place you know it, it's just they want to make sure that they don't have to write directions down for him it's like you're gonna have to go down the 94 and then turn left on on Green Hills Road or something like that. Let's just make sure, simplify it for the simple farm boy.
0: Yeah, go to where you live and we'll be (laughs) there. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Sure, whatever. (laughs) So we cut to the barn where Clark enters the barn and Lana, the Countess, Eric, you know, all the the characters are there. Lois uses Sergit, which means rise, and then they throw a wagon wheel at him. That's when they realize he's super durable because he didn't like you know, get cut in half. So essentially he's now revealed his powers to all three of them. So those mm-hmm. are the three people we're counting He revealed his powers to, as well as Lex, as well as Jason as a maybe. Mm-hmm. But all three of these people die again before the end of the show is over. So we're, that's, we're counting them as dying. But they think he's a warlock. So we, we kind of established in our show that when Clark uses his heat vision, we can see it as the audience because they put in the ripple effects, but to the people in the world, they don't see that. So when he uses his heat vision to destroy or block all the weapons or tools thrown at him, to their eyes, it looks like they're just being deflected yeah. by, I guess, his mental power. So it does kind of make sense. I do think that's kind of a fun little gag that they don't realize he's a super human. They just think he's a warlock. Mm-hmm. So Chloe uses the spell Incenday March, which causes, that's when all the tools fly at him. I guess they're like marching. She uses Averte, overturn which causes him to rise into the air, and then it seems like he's in pain. Uh, he drops to the ground, and he's now bruised, and he has several cuts, and he's bleeding. So I think this is where he's starting to realize, wait, this is hurting me, because still now nothing has actually hurt him. Clark then tries to get through to Chloe, which is a great moment, and at first it seems to be working, but it's just a trick, which I feel like might be karmic payback from what he did as Lionel, when, or Lionel did as him when he tried to come on to, mm. to Chloe a couple episodes back and then didn't kiss her. <laughs> Chloe, you got to help. I know you're in there. Clark? Listen to me. You got to help me. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: they then rip and open his shirt and Lana casts another spell. It's a whole bunch of Latin, which translates to liberate your gift, sort the power and clan, liberate your gift, sort the power and clan, pull the power and the strength. And this seems to strip Clark of his powers. And he then falls unconscious, which is, uh, again, another unconscious person for the episode. Then we have the image of the three witches standing above him. And then the score here is the straight up Superman score. It
1: is done. His powers are gone.
0: when it goes and it ends the act, it's the Superman score, which I'm not exactly sure why they did that other than to the whole, you know, mythos of Superman that we've now established he's weak to power or, or magic, I mean.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, with him losing his powers, I have some issues with that. I mean, there's so many issues with the logic of it gets stripped out of his body, you know, how it comes back in later on. But are, are you kind of the same opinion that even if it is cheesy like this and there's maybe some logic issues. It's always a little bit more satisfying when he loses his powers and it's not due to kryptonite. Like you're mm-hmm. coming up with a different idea. because right. The audience can't just wrap their head immediately around, well, he just has to get free of the kryptonite. And it's got to be better for the writers too. They're like, you just have to sit around you're clutching his stomach for 10 minutes until somebody knocks a rock out of the way, you know? So yeah. it, it's I, th- I think I at least like the fact that the loss of powers is something else, but it's still
0: cheesy. It's still bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and does he have to lose his power? Can we not just show that they can contain him. Yeah. Like he could still be super strong, but he's like in a magic bubble. He can't punch out of, or they try to take over his mind and it works for a little while because mm-hmm. they don't seem to take his power. They don't have super yeah. strength and speed, and speed, but so it's just, they've just taken it and it's gone into the ether sort of a situation. So that
1: should be their goal. They're like, he's more powerful than we are. Let's right. let's get us some of this.
0: Yeah, they could take his power magic. One of them should have absorbed it. The Countess, I would assume, because not only does she then have magic, she also has invulnerability and super speed mm-hmm. and super strength and all those other things. It just seems like a wasted opportunity. For you know, it's like there's the magic pill that gives you powers. Ah, just throw it in the ditch.
1: Yeah. Uh, are we talking about the um the the cave power that comes out of them yet?
0: Uh, that's later.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> again exact same visual effect that just looks terrible too mm-hmm. um we do get some of the 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 big over-the-top laughter here from the witches as well which yeah. as much as it's it's like it is so bad it, it's can't be bad it's bad in a way where you can laugh at it you know mm-hmm. uh and that i think that's the biggest problem with this episode is that it's so all over the place you have serious moments where you're trying to tell the story about the stones and then you have things that are scary like Lex with the piano and then you have witches with cauldrons and cackling and then you got people in their underwear like it's almost like they said we want seven different episodes but just contain it in one week right. and then they it's, still they still didn't manage to get it on Halloween you know <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's tonally all over the place yeah it's just. It, it's just- you know the I won't say the shotgun effect because that ties in later, mm-hmm. um, and also I just I just just now realized it, but I wonder if that Superman score drop in and the three witches standing above them above him all dressed in leather is that a Superman two Ooh. homage where we got Zod and yeah. these minions they're wearing leather they have just defeated Superman because also in Superman two he loses his power mm-hmm. though there it's from a Kryptonite. Uh, you know, fortress Assault do thing. But I wonder if that's what they're going for is he's lost his power. He'll get it back later. Leather clads. So I bet that's if, why they did that.
1: If it's not intentional, I say still count it because you connected a lot of dots that I didn't even think about the whole, the whole leather and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, I w- if I ever get a chance to ask somebody, that'll have to be what I asked. <laughs> all right. So we're going to our fourth act here. The witches pull the location of the first stone of power from Clark and then vanish. Jason arrives to set Clark free. Clark lies to Jason, sending him off to the school while he goes to face the witches in the cave with a shotgun. Clark gets his powers back and then uses his heat vision to destroy the countess's book. All right. So fourth act here. What do you want to talk about?
1: Uh, Okay. So (laughs) the, the the secrets coming out in the form of a power Mm -hmm. already not consistent with earlier in the show where, the Countess could just read people's minds and know if they're a virgin or not. All of a sudden, you have to pull it out and it comes out with the same effect that his powers did and it whispers the caves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so much more than you needed. I, I would have been just as sad, probably more satisfied if she like put her hand on his head and she's reading his thoughts or something. She casts a spell and she can read thoughts and you just hear that whisper. The fact that there is a visual representation of the caves coming out and... My wife's watching this with me and she still can't even hear what that whisper's saying. She's like, "Did it say he's gay?" I'm like, "No, it said the caves. <laughs> the caves." <laughs> it's just such a bad visual effect. It's so poorly uh it, it, so poorly executed as mm-hmm. far as how the audio is, the video and everything. And it's most importantly not even consistent with their powers. Like uh, they couldn't even keep the witch's power straight in this episode. Like that's how many problems they run into.
0: Yeah, and then the the spell they cast uh, again translated from google so it's certainly possible that's wrong but it seems like they said monstra which would be monster how does that (laughs) pull the the spell the like disembodied voice of saying the case like there's got to be a different latin phrase like speak the truth veritas you know (laughs) ask a question and then compel the truth and that would be better just to have clark not wanting to say it but then having to say like Mm -hmm. rather than did the disembodied voice just have clark forced to tell the truth
1: and and that would make so much more sense later on because we're gonna see this is the episode that really introduces magic as you gotta be careful like there's stuff that you can't control you're not even aware of that that, you Mm -hmm. know could have an effect on you just having this happen and he's basically unconscious and doesn't realize that his voice is coming out of his chest (laughs) in a purple cloud but if you had it where he has no power it's almost like Lex on the piano he's in a trance and he's speaking these words and he can't even control it that actually grounds us a little bit more, so you fear this power more, because they, they make this big jump at the end where you're all of a sudden like, oh no, magic is dangerous, but it's like, mm-hmm. but we don't see it as dangerous here, like, he should barely even have a memory of this happening.
0: Right. And, and it also would also be more connective tissue as if his situation was similar to Lex's situation where he was aware of what was happening, but compelled to do something against his will. Mm-hmm. Now the spells have a bit of, uh, you know, not symmetry, but connection that they, the consistency is what I'm looking for. Yeah. That would help settle the tone down. I will, of course, mention that if your thing, if you get, a, uh, if you get enjoyment of seeing Tom Welling chained, uh, <laughs> topless in a barn, surrounded by three women in, in uh, leather, then this is your thirst trap moment because it's definitely there for those of you who enjoy that.
1: My wife, the second that it came off, she goes, you know why they have this in the episode, right? I'm like, for people like you? She goes, yeah, it's for the ladies. <laughs> it's for the ladies,
0: yep. Uh, now that they have what they need, the countess says, aberte, which apparently means go away, and they vanish from the barn. Clark is struggling to get free, but he does not have his power, so he has no strength. Jason then arrives and sets him free, but also spills the beans on the spell book situation. Clark lies because he does know where they're going, and sends. he's like, I don't know where they're going. Why don't you go to the school? He says he's going to go to the Talon, but of course he's going to go to the caves. He's just trying to protect Jason from getting hurt, but also trying to keep his secret. I would assume he doesn't want to know. But this is what I think is really interesting. So we go to the caves. The three witches are there. They, uh, the Stone of Power is calling to them. They use a spell, Muris Scenandium, split the wall, which opens the cave wall. They go into the chamber. They start to chant in unison, Voltus Vita Nostra S." our life has been returned. And then Clark shows up with a shotgun. <laughs> That's the part that I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> well, okay, so what was the plan? Was yeah. he going to shoot them with the shotgun? Because he only has it for a second, because they rip it from his hands with another spell. But I want to know what Clark's thought was. Okay, I'm going to murder these three yeah. people with a shotgun.
1: In the show, especially going forward, Lana's going to become you known. Basically, should have been labeled as a serial killer. But like that is definitely not Clark. So like, if if he had aimed and shot them in the leg, maybe I'm just going to. But then they still have the magic. So. The only reason he would bring this here, knowing that anything they do, they could heal themselves or they could cast a spell if they were incapacitated, would be to murder them. (laughs) This is Clark wanting to commit murder on three people who are his friends too. Because he's killing his friends by doing this.
0: Maybe he thinks it's like a show of force. Like he will like, like again, they're witches. They probably don't know what a shotgun is. Um, I'm not sure when the Flint pistol was invented. I don't know if that was around 1600s. I'm an ignorant American, excuse me. So they then use their magic to rip the shotgun away. The Countess grabs for the stone, but then it hurts her hand. So she drops it. Clark grabs it, and that restores his powers. Mm -hmm. And we've actually seen this before. The stone multiple times now has healed people and also either given or taken away power. So thematically and consistently, that does kind of work. Because that is, like, the question is, how is he going to get his powers back? Do they come back over time? Because this isn't a kryptonite situation. This isn't just you know get away and it's you're okay they pulled his powers out of his body so i at least think that does kind of work for to explain because you know otherwise they would have to like cast a spell and they're not going to do that type of mm-hmm. a thing
1: but like have his powers just been floating around smallville for the last couple hours right yeah <laughs> it's still in the air <laughs>
0: just yep yeah. and they just like they go through people and people have a momentary burst of power like, yeah it's like somebody's picking up a coke and it shatters the bottle yeah. <laughs> someone's <laughs> catching a frisbee and now they're in montana that type of stuff that had been that had been great the untold tales of Smallville.
1: <laughs> Don't you think though that like countess should have a little bit more disappointment when this stone basically burns her hand? Like she has basically spent, let's, let's say she's 20 uh, in the, the, the cold opening 400 years after that, 420 years, she has waited to touch one of these stones. Like she should be pissed that this thing is, yeah. is I've wasted my life and multiple lifetimes on top of that. And she's know? conquered death. Yeah. To get so back the to the stone. This. And then the second she touched, oh, this isn't going to work at all. <laughs> and
0: why does it hurt? Because yeah. we've seen other people touch stones and not feel that pain. Lionel was able to hold onto one long enough to switch bodies with Clark in the Jinx episode or no, the transference episode. So there's been no indication to this point that only Kryptonians can touch it or, or that. So is it because of her magic? There's no it's- explanation
1: it's like holy water, you know? This this is the the Kryptonian version of holy water. If, if yeah. you're a witch, if you're evil, you're going to get burned by it.
0: Well, and they could have put a one-line of dialogue in the beginning when Magistrate Wilkins is, is saying, you know, could say, you know, someone uh, possessed of evil or whatever can't have the power. We know, like, just throw in one extra line, so then then we get the payoff of, that's, that's what they meant. You can't hold the power. Yeah. But no, it's just like a, a random, like, well, we have to have her give up the stone so maybe it hurts
1: it makes no sense (laughs) like so much in this episode that that's just the way to explain it if you need a tagline for this episode it's just it just makes no sense yeah
0: it makes no sense uh so the countess says do you think this time will be any different in reference to clark now having his powers back and he goes i'm counting on it he then uses his heat vision to burn the book which was jason's plan so good on jason he had the right uh thought uh the trans. Burnt symbol lights up again as the countess screams no and i think it kind of fades to black or there's a bright light type of a thing uh and then that ends our act so anything else in the fourth act before we move into the fifth
1: i always like going back to the caves it's something that gets lost after this season but it it was such an interesting environment and it really did build a mythology just in smallville i know we're going to get it a couple more times in this season but again, like everything else that this episode, it just taints it. You know, as soon mm-hmm. as you see these witches battling over the stone in this cave, uh it, one other thing though is they're still in these outfits. They're still all made up, their makeups. If you actually count it, this should be about a day and a half after cuz a whole day passed in between this morning when they get here. And then it was the night before that. So let's just say it's 36 to 48 hours later. They're looking good for 36 to 48 hours of running all around, fighting people in barns, running across farms. Their makeup's perfect. Hair's perfect. They clearly don't need to shower that often. Clothes are intact. (laughs) Magic. Yeah, Yeah, this is the spell. (laughs) It's the
0: D&D equivalent of, you know, a wizard did it. Like that's, you know, like (laughs) like what magic? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only explanation you need. All right. So if you don't mind, will you read the fifth act summary, please?
1: everyone wakes up free from possession of memories of the last few days that that line alone everyone wakes up free from possession or memories of the last few days clark explains to his parents what happened poorly lex visits lana and admits he was the one who had jason fired not clark lana visits clark and tells him the truth only to be lied to again lex visits the caves himself
0: so everyone wakes up. The girls are now free from their possession. Uh, Clark helps Lana up. Just Lana. Screw Chloe and Lois. <laughs> what happened? Clark, you haven't been yourself lately. Smile. No, that's, that's not the explanation. You, no, there, there needs to be more than that. But we are counting all four of them as unconscious. So all four of, of them. So that puts us, I think, at six unconscious people uh, in the episode. Seven technically because Clark goes unconscious twice because he also yeah. goes unconscious uh, with the witch fight. Uh, So this is my actual favorite part of the episode. Clark comes downstairs to find Martha in the kitchen and Jonathan out doing the chores. Jonathan comes in asking if Clark has anything he needs to tell his mother. And then he holds up a bra. Son, is there maybe a little something you'd like to tell your mother and me?
1: Where did that come from?
0: From out in the barn. In the hay. Clark. It was magic. I'm sure it was. No, I mean, it really was. <laughs> I absolutely love that moment. She sells it so well. It's so funny. And it just it fits into this idea that, again, talking about the virginity thing, Jonathan Kent seems so just dead set that Clark will not, I'll say, but lack of a better word, sin mm-hmm. and have sex before marriage. And Martha's more like, you go get it, girl. I mean, just like she like I mean, I'm sure she would be upset as the mom, but she doesn't seem to have the same reaction that Jonathan has. I love that; <laughs> it was magic. I'm sure it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the only time we see them in this episode as well, right? I don't even think we yep. hear Martha's voice on the phone when she called earlier, do we?
0: I don't think so. Now,
1: yeah, I mean, it, it, whenever you have these people that can make something out of nothing, like like Erica Durance, like uh, uh, John Schneider and Annette O'Toole. Like, they're going to give you something good in an episode like this. But I'm just like you, like that line. And and also just credit to Tom Welling. The awkwardness that he says that with. like <laughs> Half of the punchline is how he delivered that. Yeah. If he just simply said, no, 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 it was magic. That's different than, it was magic. Like, <laughs> he's like stumbling on his words. He's like breathing heavy. <laughs> That's yeah. what makes that line.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I almost feel like, that was the idea they had for the episode. Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't it be funny if, and they just went, worked backwards and wrote an episode to get to that joke. And in that respect, it's almost worth it because that is a damn good joke and is executed perfectly.
1: Unfortunately though, you get the Princeton guy lost along the way. Like he's barely in this episode and yet that should be the premise, you know? Mm. Uh, you, You now have used these powers. You can go somewhere like Princeton, but you blew it even the throwaway line to Lex earlier on, like we just get one quick thing mentioned here. It's like, Oh yeah, it happened when the Princeton guy was here. Like that could be the episode like that. The premise probably was Clark gets under the spell from witches and you know, he ends up uh, in this sexy situation and, And the parents find bras later on. And he has to awkwardly explain that, but he blew the Princeton interview. And then somebody said, well, we're right at that point in the season where we need to tie this into the stones. We need to tie this into the mythology. Mm -hmm. And then they just went too heavy on that. It could have been a very funny episode otherwise. Right.
0: And and they never, as far as I can remember, they don't bring Princeton up again. Like it's just, it's just gone. Like, so he ends up, you know, his scholarship is to a different college type of a thing, Mm -hmm. but just still, you know, Princeton's a big deal. Getting yeah. into Princeton would have been like, you know, life changing for a regular Kansas farm boy quarterback superstar, I would assume. Would so that seems like yeah, seems like a big deal. Uh but I do, I love Johnson Schneider's like I realize this is Smallville and all, but witches and spells and magic. <laughs> but then we get the the sort of the punctuation is it's real and it can hurt me. And like yeah. I think that's the supposed to be the tonal shift here is yes, it happens and I'm as as vulnerable to magic as anybody else is. And Mm -hmm. that could be scary.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, everything else in this episode kind of loses that punchline at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that is what you want out of this. You want to come out of this and be like, whoa, this is is intimidating. Like some bad stuff can happen that we didn't even think about this. The audience expects things like Kryptonite. You know, they expect maybe another meteor shower. They're going to eventually expect people like Zod or Darkseid or Doomsday. But they're not necessarily thinking magic. Now, -hmm. when the episode is as silly as this is, (laughs) you really don't have that moment where you can reflect on the end. But still, I give them credit that, that when that line is delivered, it does make you have that double take. You're like, Ooh, wait a second. I didn't think about that. So I don't, maybe the, maybe what they were going for is they didn't want that to be in the back of your mind that this is going to be a threat going forward. And that it's just sort of a surprise, you know, one way or the other. I mean, everything about this episode is a mess, but at least you have that, that shining light at the end. It's like, okay, it was for a reason.
0: Mm -hmm, Right. Again, I do think, I mean, they had a reason to do it. They wanted to tell part of this story. I just think the execution wasn't there at most. There's again, there's a few moments that worked really well, but overall I think the the episode's kind of a, kind of a Mm -hmm. failure. Lex goes to visit Lana. This is the, um, the cold open scene we did. So we already did the dialogue for this scene, but is there anything within that scene that you want to talk about?
1: Uh, I mean, there's some, Fun moments where you know he's referring to her as she was aggressively sexy. <laughs> uh, well, I, doesn't I kind she of even say
0: it? I was a I was possessed by a medieval slut or something? Yeah, which again, yeah. I get the the sort of the puritanical sort of nature, but I kind of felt like that was a little bit too aggressive. I get it's two thousand and four, but mm-hmm. I mean, basically, you're slut shaming a sixteen or was it fifteenth <laughs> century witch or seventeenth century witch? I just felt like that was unnecessary and uncalled for
1: and it's also just a little bit weird that Clark is saying like, she was aggressively sexy Like he just said she was aggressively um, promiscuous or something like that. Like, but the fact that he identifies her sexy, that implies he enjoyed this, you know, yeah. which also doesn't really fit with the way this episode's supposed to be like, Oh, this is dangerous. You know, I, she was willing to go in there with a shotgun yeah. and blow off Lana's head yeah. to rid her. But he's like, yeah, but I kind of liked her.
0: <laughs> yeah. She had something. She had some moxie. Yeah. <laughs> So we get another needle drop here. We get uh, We Might As Well Be Strangers by Keen playing as Lex looks up. This is after the end of the dialogue they did. And then we transition into the Lana showing up to see Clark at the barn. And so the the song is kind of continually going. And there's one part where it says, I don't know your face no more or feel the touch that I adore. So, again, it seems like despite the fact that Clark once again saved Lana – Lana's still with jason they are they have not mended their relationship. They are still strangers, uh, but at least she's no longer mad at him for something he didn't do
1: with the lex scene now i'm I'm sure this is gonna be a running theme throughout the season, but like Lex turning Lana in once you get close to the end of the season, you see maybe there's an ulterior motive for that for the Jason firing and everything mm-hmm. but Lex does sort of have a point, Lahiro. He's like, he was a teacher, you know, that that's yeah. that's the big dilemma of the season, he was a teacher. But they also I feel believe they knew where they wanted to go with this at the end of the season that Lex's ulterior motive was a part of it. It makes Lex a little bit creepy here to sort of bring that up. But mm. all, it's just it's 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 interesting there's one moment in this episode where you can go back to it after watching the season and be like, ooh, maybe it wasn't just all about it's an inappropriate thing with a student. Maybe Lex yeah. wants to be the inappropriate teacher.
0: right. Yes, uh, there's definitely some Lex Lexana track, I think being laid there because there's one episode there's one scene, I think it's the last episode where Lex tells Clark that he's the one that got Jason fired. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Clark says, well, why did you do that? And then Lex never answers. Like, he just says the thing where Smallville, like, they just leave leave the camera on his face for, like, two minutes too long. Mm -hmm. Um, But he never actually answers, so we don't hear what he said to that. And it does seem like there's a little bit of an element of, well, she's either yours or mine. No one else gets to have her. But then we also have the whole thing with how much does – Lex know about Jason T because they kind of mix that up as they get to the end of the season when they find out that they knew each other. And then season seven when they do the Veritas Society, which makes no sense. So it's, it's a little bit muddled, uh, everybody's uh, motives, I think.
1: Uh, do you think that they wrapped this Jason thing up too early in the season?
0: So from what, again, from what I read... When he was hired, he was supposed to be a series regular. He was just going to be a love interest for Lana, a foil for Clark, kind of like what Whitney was for the first couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until he got hired for Supernatural and they knew they only had him for the one season that they had to sort of like, I think they ramped up his Mm storyline. So I think that's why it seems kind of weird because I, I think they'd planned on using him for like a year or two and they end up having to condense his storyline into a to one year. So like the first half, there's like no indication that mm-hmm. he's anything other than what he says. And then it turns very quickly yeah. with uh, the introduction of his mother character. And then by the end of the season, he's a full on villain, like, you know, murdering people and concealing stuff, that type of thing
1: which makes me sad that we didn't get this over multiple seasons. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's still very effective what we get later on, but even just this part of the storyline that, you know, the, the teacher or it's it's almost unfortunate to call him a teacher, you know, we'll give him some credit. It's still weird. He's an assistant
0: coach. He's a college age assistant coach at a high school.
1: Yeah. Uh, But that is almost two thirds of a season. Well, in any other season of Smallville or any TV show, that is the majority of the focus of the season. And here we're, really only at the third point of the season and they've wrapped that up. It just, there's so much more mileage. So yeah, it makes so much more sense to hear that like they had to rush this at this point. But, but also if you knew you wanted to go a couple of seasons with this arc or a little bit further. And, and also, I mean, Jensen Ackles was one of the guys they were looking at to play Clark before they settled on Tom Welling. Yeah. So this is a guy that you were committed to. We want to be on the show. Why not sign him for two seasons, three seasons? Like they shot themselves in the foot with this by not committing to him a little bit further.
0: Well, I, I, again, I don't know all the details, but basically Supernatural was on the same network, right? Mm-hmm. So it might have been something where they did have him sign for multiple seasons, but then they also mm-hmm. let him audition. And then like, hey, now I can be the co-lead. So yeah. I, I would like to think that even if they had locked him in, they were willing to let him go. Because obviously yeah. this is someone they liked. Like you said, he was on the short list for, to be Clark to begin with. Uh, so I, again my in my my head Canon they had him for multiple seasons, of him, and then they let him out because he got supernatural, so
1: yeah, like c w says you know what we know you're doing something with him on the show, but we have a bigger project there we're, yeah. we're we're calling the shots
0: now, yeah, pretty much yeah, so Lana kind of tells Clark that he learned the truth about Lex being the one that told. Uh, you know, Lana says, I always resented you for keeping secrets and, and I don't want to be like that. So then she just comes clear, clean about her tattoo and the symbols on the wall. And then Clark says, oh, I've seen that symbol before. And then she to asking, well, do you know what it means? And he lies. So that once again, he has an opportunity cause he's got out. Mm-hmm. He could say, yeah, I do know what that means. It's the, it's a symbol that means water. And apparently it's translates to transference. Without revealing how he knows it, because it's this other thing with the whole prison thing. Because Lex knows about the body swap. People in Smallville know that Lionel Luther and Clark Kent switched bodies. That is a known (laughs) thing. So he has an out to give her some helpful information without betraying his secret. And he doesn't take it. He just lies to her again. And it's just like, at some point, you got to realize, Lana, he's never going to be Well, she doesn't know he lied, but I think she probably senses it and feels it. Um, but then we end the episode with Lex in the caves looking at the same symbol. I'm not sure I quite get, I mean, I guess he knows that the witch was looking for the Kryptonian symbol. She knew about the map inside it, but why specifically has now Lex got into the caves and he's looking at that symbol? Like, do you have any idea like what they were trying to tell? Cause I don't know if I'm understanding what they're trying to tell me.
1: The only thing I could really think of is that they're, they're just trying to, at least in the audience's mind, tie it together hey Lex you're gonna have to watch Lex because Lex is going to factor into this later in the season I mean he's gonna have one of the biggest episodes of the season revolving around this mm-hmm. there's no other reason that he should be in there otherwise so yeah I kind of agree with you gotcha all
0: right and that very much wraps up the episode so chance here to, to circle back around to anything that maybe we skipped over you want to spend more time on or move into your just overall thoughts on the episode
1: um I mean just sort of my overall thoughts I mean, I've said it a couple times that the Stones was the right way to go with this season. They are increasing the mythology, they were bringing in all these other ages and all that but with this episode, I almost feel like there's a better way to do this and making it witches, if this was going to be a Halloween themed episode, it makes sense, but we know it's not a Halloween episode. I even looked up to see if it was shot out of order because you know you can look up what the the production code was and okay, well this episode was obviously meant to be earlier. It wasn't. I mean this was always meant to be where it was in the season. Uh, The way that it's handled in other seasons like somebody just being a vessel if this were a possession storyline you could make this a straight episode you could tell this in a separate one without it being the one with the the Princeton guy and all that you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's like they made every wrong decision on this which by next year they're gonna make every wrong decision and then some (laughs) trying to top this I, I just I really wonder what it was about this episode that made them want to do it again because season five as you mentioned, the vampire one, obviously they were pulling from this. They were thinking the, which one was a hit, but like, was it like,
0: yeah. <laughs> it was great. people it. loved it. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Waiting for the person that you're, you're, you're waiting for somebody to write you to say, they're the ones that love the spell. They're the reason that we got this for a second time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very much so. Overall, again, I don't like this episode. I think it fails on multiple levels. I think the biggest frustration is that I can kind of see what they were trying to do. And that. And I think that was an interesting idea. Bringing in magic is a good idea, Um, but I just don't think the execution was there. I think the idea was there, but they needed more development time. You know, maybe it was a symptom of the studio system of the way shows were made at that time, but like just, it needed more time to to germinate before Mm -hmm. it was ready to bloom into a a good episode. Having said that, there are elements within it. And in the physical comedy that Erica Durant's, Uh, has I think is really good the moment with Lex is truly kind of scary Mm -hmm. uh, but it's sort of a one-off learning that Clark's vulnerable to magic was a big deal and again the the line it was magic I'm sure it was (laughs) that is the highlight of the episode to me so yeah all right uh so before we go i always like to take a moment to look at these episodes through the lens of man versus superman i kind of say it every time so i don't feel like i have to go through the the full spiel but is there anything about this episode that stuck out to you in regards to that idea of every episode in a way is about clark's fighting against his two sides his desire to be a normal american boy and his heritage to be superman and you know destiny to become superman
1: i mean the obvious idea here the the getting into college uh, and even losing his powers, but like, you could have made that such a bigger thing here. So mm-hmm. it's like, I think the idea is there. I think that uh, you, know, you can connect those dots, but it's not quite as big as it could have been. But yeah, I, obviously, you know, regular kid, trying to get a scholarship, it fo- follows up on everything that's come prior to this. Um, losing his powers, having to be mortal, we don't really get to see enough of that, though
0: yeah i I agree i think it leans more heavily into the superman i think the big thing is that we learned that he's vulnerable to magic i think that clearly is the big idea this episode expresses because it's really not truly it's not his fault his powers aren't the reason why this all happens it's the people the witches after the stones of power which are tied to his heritage of you know being a kryptonian because that's why they're there theoretically for him i guess it's still kind of weird, um, but yeah, I, I don't think this is an episode that that really highlights that. Which is again probably one of the reasons why I don't like it as much. I generally the ones that hit that well are the ones that I think are my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. All right, so now it's time for our pass the torch question. You get an opportunity to ask a question that I will ask next week's co-host. So, what would you like me to ask them?
1: Uh, so as I've said a couple times, I'm I'm kind of bothered by the ingredients for this potion, <laughs> uh, more so than like could this have been a little bit more complicated? I mean, salamander tails and stuff like that. Uh, the fact that the hair of two virgins to me seems like a little too easy. Uh, to increase tension in this episode, uh, let's just say what ingredient that would have been used in a magic spell potion would be harder to find in Smallville than the hair of two virgins. Mm. All
0: right, very cool so colin thank you so much for dropping by i really had a good time talking to you i think you brought a lot to this episode uh where can people find you if they just want to hang out with you on social media if you have twitter handle feel free to plug that if you have podcasts you want to plug feel free here's your time tell people where they can find you
1: yeah i'll i'll say right off the bat i'm, I'm probably pretty boring myself on twitter <laughs> but if people want to follow me occasionally you'll get something entertaining uh it's at colcatron uh, but uh, the more interesting stuff would be the the podcast I'm involved with um, I have the, the Oz Network which is a film and TV podcast we have covered a couple of random episodes of Smallville in the past if you want to go back a couple of years you can find those Uh, And we even recently talked about Tom Welling uh, in the movie Draft Day that we uh, did a recap on. Um, Also another one of my podcasts, Double Oz 7, which is a James Bond podcast. And then uh, if you're a sport fan or amateur sport fan, uh, off the podium where we talk uh, Olympics and uh, interview lots of uh, Olympic and Paralympic athletes. So uh, if you want more entertainment, follow the shows. Um, (laughs) If you want to just give me a follower, follow me on Twitter. Why not?
0: Very cool. And just remember, if you'll send me Uh, all those links, I'll put them in the show notes for you. So everything will be easy for people to find. Uh, So again, thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate it. Uh, As for myself, most of what I do can be found at the RPG Academy. That's all my stuff about role-playing games. And I do stream video games on occasion on my Twitch channel. All the Smallville stuff is on the Farm to Fable Twitter, uh, Facebook page. We also have our own email, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. Please, Write in, let us know what you think about the episode, good or bad. I love getting emails from listeners. We just got a review very recently. Uh, Yes, we just got a a five-star review from Jaden2k3, and they wrote, This is a fantastic rewatch podcast. I love hearing others' opinions on the show, and Michael and the co-hosts are just spectacular. Good thing fan fiction exists, so we can change the course of the show. I uh, really appreciate the kind words. Um, Jaden, thank you so much for taking the time to write a review. If anyone listening, if you have the ability to write a review, even if you find someone's iPhone on a bus, take it, give us a review, and then give them their phone back. It really does help more people find the show. It also just feels good to read them and see that people are, are listening. That makes, the, you know, makes, me, makes me happier. Just quickly reminder to stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. And one thing I'm going to start mentioning at the end of every episode, listening to podcasts, it's a lot of fun, it's something I do all the time uh, for my enjoyment. But if you find that you are no longer enjoying things that you used to enjoy, that can be the sign that you might be dealing with a mental health issue. It's one, one of the common signs that people have. They no longer find joy in things that used to bring them joy. So if you think that you might be struggling with an issue or you know someone who is, um, in our show notes, there will always be the link to the Suicide Prevention Hotline, the Crisis Hotline, and the Trevor Project. Uh, so if you or someone you know, again, is struggling with issues of mental health wellness, uh, mental health wellness, or just need someone to talk to, please consider reaching out to a professional who can help you because that's what those people are there for. You're important. We want to keep you around. Um, So don't, you know, don't do anything silly. Talk to somebody who can help. And so with that, stay after the end credits for the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fan cast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Total number of vehicles wrecked. We're still at 61 because we had no new wrecks this week. Total number of times a person has been knocked unconscious. We're now at 175 because Jason apparently goes unconscious when he's thrown out the window by the Countess in Lana's body. Clark goes out when he is overpowered by the witches inhabiting Lana, Lois's, and Chloe's body. Then Clark, Lana, Lois, and Chloe all go unconscious when Clark destroys the Countess's spell book with his heat vision. So looking at her main cast, Lana has now been unconscious 20 times. Lex is still at 15. Clark is now at 13. Chloe is now at 11. Jonathan Kent is at 11. Martha is still at 5. Lionel is still at 3. Lois is now at two, and Jason Teague is now at two. And the total number of times someone goes to the hospital, we're still at 66 with no new visits this week, at least not that we know of. Uh, looking at our main cast, Lana's been to the hospital six times, Chloe, five, Jonathan Kent, five, Lionel Luther, five, Lex, four, Martha, twice, and Clark, twice. And the total number of times Clark tells or shows someone other than Lana his abilities, we're now at 85 with three asterisks. One for everyone in Smallville, one for everyone in Metropolis, and one for the military, because all three of those organizations, groups, peoples, know.